Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for downloading this podcast. And do yourself a favor to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I want to live at the Blue Hotel. Welcome to the Blue Hotel, the podcast with the open mind, and welcome to episode six. This time I'm going to present to you a special guest who helps us better understand the do's and don'ts of how to get over someone. This episode will climax like it always does with a new adult bedtime story, and I think maybe they're getting better and better, but so much to get to before that. Before we begin, let's breathe. It's a simple way to Calm down, get in the frame of mind to enjoy conversation about relationships and pleasure and sexuality and sex and how we put it all together to make our lives a bit better. For some of us, at some points in our lives with certain people that you thought were your people and that this was it, you come to a place of discovery that it's just not working and it's complicated and no matter what you do or say or think or try, it's just not happening. Which leads to this week's theme, how to get over someone. Because sometimes it can seem debilitating, can it? Perhaps this was the person you thought of every morning when you first opened your eyes and and you thought of them when a song came on the radio and you started to detest anything sounding remotely like a love song after it broke up because it brought you back to them. And maybe that's happening right now to you. And somehow you think you'll get better at all this from what? Experience? Age? Wisdom? There's just no obvious accounting for matters of the heart, no matter how old we are. You feel what you feel. But you have to know this. There are ways past all of it. And a big part of that is time. But there's more to it. And there's more to you than thinking you have to cling to what is proven not to be good for you. There's way more to life than staying stuck in a place where you don't belong. It's okay to let go of a dream you had if it's just not working. And don't forget, the people we're with have their own traumas and insecurities. They're doing the best they can. It's not always going to align with what you want. And you can never be the right one for the wrong person. And this, when things seem to have fallen apart, they may actually be falling into place. Now let's get some more perspective by bringing in today's guest. I did a ride at the Blue Hotel. We did a ride at the Blue Hotel.
Our guest today is a, a sharer, a giver in the areas of compassion and acceptance, who for a time worked as a probation officer. She not only helped transform thousands of lives in that role, she would coach and mentor colleagues too and educate people in need of help with addictions and relationships and self-care. She helps to empower highly sensitive people. She is well-versed in things like trauma bonds, boundaries, masculine and feminine energies. Not only that, she's a dancer, a hell of a good dancer, a DJ. This is a surprise to me, a former CFL cheerleader, a mom, bit of a rock star in the grand sense of that word. Welcome to our special guest this time, an expert in human behavior with an understanding of how people change. You know, they say people don't change. They actually do. She's the CEO and founder of Free to Be You, Freya Mortensen. Hello. How are you? Thanks for that <laughs> introduction and listening to myself there. <laughs> they say you can only, you know, sort of connect the dots in reverse, and you've got a lot of dots to connect in your life. For a younger person, you've done a lot, wouldn't you say? Oh, gosh. And it's not stopping anytime soon. Let's keep it up. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Where am I speaking to you from? Where are you at? The Hammer. Hamilton. Where did you grow up, Fran? Here. Born and raised. Have you traveled a lot in your life? Oh, not as much as I would like to. But lately, my travel spot, two of them. In the last year, I've been to two or three times already. Costa Rica and California. Well, that's two very different places. Tell me, start with whichever you prefer. Costa Rica is just this dreamy, soul-filling energy with the green and the vibrancy and the it holds me and, and it loves me and it comforts me and I feel like I'm just at home. And now why California? Why not? And let me tell you this. When I was uh, 14, I got my first job and I saved up and bought a you know return ticket on American Airlines for $200 to Los Angeles. I needed to see Hollywood at 14. And I've been back, you know, many times. It was sort of that place. It was, it was highly intriguing because of well, the movies and music. What, what, what drew you there in particular? At first, it was um, my mentor, my business mentor, drew me there for a conference in San Diego, and I had a great time. And I'm like, I need to come back here <laughs> on my own agenda, and, and so I did. And, and traveling alone has been my new thing. So I went back by myself. These trips to Costa Rica lately have been alone. And do I travel? Yeah. And the thing about it that I've been loving is the aloneness, the solo travel journeys. What is it about solo traveling that's, that's, that's preferable? Because <laughs> I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> <laughs> There's that, right? <laughs> it's it's yeah. freedom. It's freedom, and I don't have to worry about the energy that the other traveler is bringing with me. <laughs> I can just flow and meet people and be open to meeting people while I'm in different countries. Have you ever been on a trip and met somebody that it went beyond um, a casual fling? Did you ever fall in love with somebody and <laughs> kept it up long distance and you went and visited them and they came yes. to visit you? Yes, recently. Yeah. Well, like there was one time I had a boyfriend and I went on a vacation with a girlfriend to the Dominican. I ended up coming home from that vacation telling my boyfriend, 
we can't be together anymore. And so it's over. And I didn't realize it's like, oh, well, it doesn't have to be over. Friend was like, don't tell. You don't have to tell. They'll never know. I'm like, no. Freya's trying to be honest, okay? Freya's trying to have a little bit more. Ended up getting back together with the boyfriend after that. But, you know, you go away on vacations. Watch out for the, what do you call those things? Um, oh, island romances. Recently, I, I did at the beginning of the year have a, a long distance relationship with someone in another province. And I learned that I didn't like it. I loved the the independence and being alone, like, but only to a certain degree to then I didn't like it anymore. So I, I learned, okay, those kind of relationships aren't good for me. <laughs> well, you know, if you really like somebody and you get kind of attached to them, it is it is it is torture to have that long stretch of time in between seeing someone. It, it's oh, difficult, isn't it? Absolutely. And what are the other pitfalls of that? Well, I mean, when you're building a relationship with someone long distance, your conversations are digital. As much as you try to recreate an in-person experience, they're physically not there. And so the, the number of hours that you end up investing, like say over the period of five months, the number of hours that you invest in person only amounts to like a week of getting to know this person. Five months learning about someone that you could have figured out a lot sooner. <laughs> it's a little complicated. That's why I like a trip. You get to know a lot about somebody when you travel with them, don't you? My therapist, she knows this about me. She's like, oh, you're bringing the new boyfriend on a vacation. Oh, yeah, that's what you like to do. I'm like, yeah, that's what I like to do. <laughs> oh, well, let's see how it is when you come back. And usually when I come back from these things, it's like, yeah, we broke up. We can go through periods of our life and be alone and think, geez, there's really no one for me or I'm not really for anyone. And then when you find out that you're attracting all kinds of people is typically when you're with someone. It's, it's like a cruel thing, isn't it? It's like, where was everybody when I was alone? Now that I'm with somebody, what do you think, what do you think that's about? Yeah, you know, when, when you've like, you've searched long and hard for that new apartment or that, that new house that you're going to buy and you finally settle in on that one and then another one pops up and you're like, oh, darn it. <laughs> or a or car you, yeah, or, a, a car. or a whatever. What is that? Uh, uh, what is that? <laughs> yeah, well, what is that, Jeff? <laughs> well, with relationships, and you're the expert, I'm just, I'm just a bystander, really. I've had a bit of life experience, but with relationships, it seems that you, you know, you have this new smile, and you have this new buoyancy, and this new confidence, and this new excitement, and the world sees that, and they're like, "Wow, he looks or she looks really interesting," and the attraction is there for more people than it would have been. There's definitely that. But I think at the same time, when you get into a new relationship and you're loving them up, you don't notice the others that are maybe looking you up and down and are, you know, thinking you could be an option. You don't notice that. A friend of mine's having a really hard time or has been getting over someone. It's a thing that I think we've all been through. And, and I know you have great experience in this area of trauma bonds, for example, people end up staying together to some degree longer than perhaps is healthy for either of them. 
Let's talk a bit about that. How do you, how do you get over someone? We only have an hour here. <laughs> right. Because people make this joke and, and I'll lead you in this way. The idea that the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else. Some of us go from relationship to relationship to relationship and you don't have any time to even take a shit in between. <laughs> and you, I, I mean, I can put myself in that category. I think this is the first time in my life that it's like, okay, Freya, we're just gonna chill. We're gonna have like real single time since I've been 15 years old. Now I'm 46. Damn. It's connection versus disconnection. So we're connected to a partner. And then what happens is throughout the course of time, you decide that it's not going to work out. And maybe it's mutual. Maybe it's not. And then what happens is you're missing that connection, but you don't go. Typically, we don't go into like, okay, well, I need to reconnect with myself now. No. Instead, we go into these disconnective behaviors, whether it's through promiscuity, whether it's through drinking or drugs or just being risky and taking risk-taking behaviors, it's keeping busy, you know, just diving into like a work project so that you don't have to think about it. So you can disconnect, not just from that relationship, but now from yourself. So, so, so if I'm hearing you right, that's not the way to go because you're not preparing yourself for doing it better when it happens again, you know? So serial monogamy, a girlfriend, a girlfriend, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a, boy, a partner, a partner, a partner, a partner, a partner, and in between the disconnection and the not facing the things, not facing yourself, and then doing it again perpetually. What are the things you've learned to do and what are the things you suggest people do instead of all that? Well, it's understanding yourself, slowing down, slowing the hell down. And what a lot of people are afraid of is being alone. They don't want to be alone. They'd rather stay in an unhealthy relationship than be alone because for them, being alone equals loneliness but it doesn't have to. So a lot of people don't know how to connect with themselves, but this is the best time now in your life to do that. Go take yourself on a date. What do you like to do? What books do you want to read? What things do you want to do that you've never done before? Start to emerge, start to crawl out of that hole that you were stuck in of a relationship so you can find yourself and what it is you really like and what it is you really want and what it is you really need. Let me play devil's advocate with that one because someone's listening and saying, no, I, I still had my friends. I still had my gig. I still did my hobbies. I still did things alone. We didn't merge to the extent that we were attached at the hip and didn't do our solo things anymore. I just miss being a couple. I miss the sex. I miss the companionship. I miss sitting on the couch together watching TV. I miss the partner to eat dinner with. And I didn't get rid of all that stuff. But they still rush into a next relationship because they miss it so much. What, what do you say to those people? 
I'll just have a little compassion, just have a little bit of understanding and normalize your experience. Like, okay, yeah, I miss them. And that's okay. Yeah, I miss having that connection. And that's part of it. That's part of experiencing pain, right? It's okay to experience pain. Let's let's sit in it for a while. I like what you said about slowing it down because, well, in, in a world where online dating is the number one way people meet, the second, mm-hmm. by the way, is still, you know, restaurants and bars. But if you're an online dater, and I'm not, by the way, but if you are, it's kind of a habit because, you know, you got your Instagram and your TikTok and your Facebook and your Twitter and your Tinder and your Bumble and whatever they are. And it's kind of a habit. So you go on, as I understand it, and, and you're always kind of on. You're always kind of in the game. So... You, you don't really slow it down and you don't really excuse yourself from the table. You kind of just stay in it. And I, and I guess it seems you don't stop to like learn and, and really take a look at what you want. You end up, as, as Carolyn Costa said in, in a previous episode, you end up settling because it's kind of what you're used to doing. Yeah. This, this, this person's giving me some attention. And those, those are the times when you do settle. Yeah, that's when you're at like that highest risk of settling, when you're vulnerable, when you're vulnerable with those emotions that you don't want to feel and you don't want to sit with for a little while. You want to cover them up, get someone else to replace the last one. <laughs> how, how many people do you think these days, you know, in percentage, I guess, are in this place where they really believe in the idea of monogamy and, and one-on-one love and that they just haven't found that person yet to do it till the end of time. Cause you know how we always see posts where there's couples that are like, you know, I want to grow old with you. And, and I always think, God, that's beautiful. And, and I always think it, it seems unrealistic and I hope they make it to me. It just seems like a, a tall, tall order to, have someone be all those things we want, a, a partner, you know, a lover, someone to plan with and share with and have a family with and get along with and do vacations with. And there's so many things there, right? Live with. It, it sounds like a very tall order. It sounds unrealistic. Am I, am I, am I crazy? Um, you can't expect to have a partner who is everything for you. That's way too overwhelming on the partner. And that's why people are not successful in relationships because there's way too much emphasis that you need to be everything for me. And there was an Instagram post that I saw recently. I can't remember who did this video. It was like a reel um, that was saying, hey, you can't expect everyone to be all this. You can't expect them to have the same interests as you and the same political views and vote the same and all of this. And there were people in the comments who were saying, I disagree. I think that is very important, something that I need to have. Not everyone can be at all. And we're looking to people outside of ourselves to meet our own needs when that's our responsibility or hire a professional. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, yeah, I've never met a therapist who, or a psychologist or a psychiatrist who didn't have a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist. We all kind of need that guiding light. Sometimes I found, and tell me what your experience is, where I would go to a psychologist and they only listened. They very rarely talked. And at one point 
you know, 12 sessions in with, with one who I did respect and got a lot out of. When I asked this, I said, can you play a little bit more of a role of a, a coach, a mentor? Can you say more? Can you give me some direction? And I know that you want me to find my own answers because, you know, that's the work. But give me a little bit of light here. Not just, don't just be a questioner. Have you found that, you know, at any point in, in seeking therapy? Yeah, there's been some times when, I, when I've had, you know, sessions with my therapist and months later, I'm like realizing something on my own. And I'm like, why didn't she tell me this? This was so <laughs> obvious. Why couldn't she have told me this months ago? Why did she just let me sit there and, and talk about it without this awareness? I would really love some feedback. I know you're supposed to come to it on your own. No, I think that's crap. Throw me a bone. <laughs> um, yeah, there's that. Let's talk about specifically about, because I know you do great courses in, 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 in a variety of things with a variety of people, but uh, you brought up, and, and now I'm kind of obsessed by it because we've all done it. Trauma bonds. What does that look like? Oh, it's horrible. It, it starts, it can start with our parents. It can start with a parent who idealizes us, who puts us up on a pedestal who shows us off, who, who's so proud in, 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 of everything and of that, that we do. It makes us feel so loved and it's just like, oh, the, the oxytocin is just beautiful. The serotonin, all those feel-good hormones from the idealization. Until it comes to the next stage, which is this devaluation from the other side is invalidating your feelings all of a sudden. And you're not who you, you were put up on this pedestal to be anymore. The things that they loved about you, now they're criticizing you for it. It's not good enough anymore. And then this last phase, they have these three phases traditionally of a trauma bomb, which is the idealization, which holds a lot of love bombs. The devaluation, which is kind of a gaslighting effect. And then the discarding which is maybe it could be silent treatment. Maybe it could be, you know, just making you feel like they're going to leave. Um, you don't see them for a while. It makes you feel like something's wrong with you and it leaves you craving that initial love bomb stage again. And this is a cycle. It goes around and around until you feel like you're just on eggshells. And a lot of times we attract these same partners as we experienced with our parents. Not always, but for people who may have some low self-esteem or they may not even realize it, they, they can get trapped into this manipulative cycle of abuse. As you say that, I, I was doing an inventory while listening to you very closely. Because I did that, as, as, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, the idealization of someone is the worst because, you know, that's the first of, of the three points you mentioned. Uh, which ends in discarding. And I've done so much of that in my life in relationships and I've corrected it finally. But the, the idealization is, yeah, putting someone on a pedestal unnecessarily, unrealistically, because no one could ever live up to what you've decided that they are. You've decided that they're perfect for you because why? Because they look great in their photograph, because they walk nice, because they have a great ass, because they seem funny and smart. 
Um, so so you, you, you're taking all these wonderful things and you're making them about those things specifically and not allowing for the idea that they're more than that. And, and you're not going to know what they are more than that until you've spent some time. A friend of mine, I want you to, to weigh in on this about time. She said, and <laughs> I finally did it at one point and, 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 and it didn't go well because the other person said, no, that's not necessary. I said to her, I got to go four seasons without living together, cohabitating or, or you know, proposing. Mm-hmm. Um, my good friend said, try going four seasons. And it was just a romantic way of saying, you know, spend longer getting to know somebody, a year, four seasons, before you make any drastic changes in your life that you'll be sorry for. Take that summer romance, turn it into a fall, go through the winter, go through the spring. If you get back to the summer again and you still think this is a great idea, you're probably, you know, in a better position to evaluate it than the four-month thing where you think, hey, let's move in together because we, we can save on rent, <laughs> which becomes when economy is the number one reason to live together, then you might have a problem. Yeah, and then that's the number one reason why you don't leave. You know, it's it's so true because like we were talking just now, one relationship ends and then you go back into another, the first person that kind of gives you this attention and starts to, oh, give you all these compliments and make you feel good. And they're like, oh my gosh, I've never met anyone like you. You're amazing. You're awesome. I think you're my soulmate. Let's move in together. And it seems like a great idea until it's not. That's a huge boundary that, that I teach highly sensitive people is because we can have a, this tendency to get reeled in uh, with certain individuals when it's not the right thing to do. And, and giving yourself that boundary in place to say, yeah, that's cool. I'd, lo- I'd love for us to live together, but let's wait a year first and then see what's up. Give us some tools, uh, if you would, other than time, because time reveals a lot of things. If you're spending time together, a week doesn't reveal much. A year reveals a lot. Other than that, though, you talk about boundaries. That's a big one, I guess. What, what are the sorts of things that you have to be really conscious of and, and, and aware of and looking at other than just the uh, span of time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to look to see how this person manages stress in their life. You want to see what they do when things are not easy. How do they cope with that? Or they don't. Do they turn to substances a lot? What's their reliance on that? What sort of healthy coping skills do they have in place? Because this is the whole thing too, is we can't be everything to everyone, nor can they be to us. So I can be operating over here from a very interdependent way while the other person isn't. And so looking at taking time to really see how they operate. How do they manage their money? How do they spend their money? What's going on with our intimacy? You know, are they only intimate with me when we've been drinking? What's that like? Are we communicating about sex and what we like to do together? That's the other thing too. Like if someone has just met you And over the course of time, they're telling you in the first week that they love you. (laughs) 
no, no, you don't. <laughs> I mean, relationships are our best teachers. And so we have to look at them. There's things for me to be learning right now. This is a learning period. That first year is all about learning. It's all about me asking myself, do I really like them? Do I? <laughs> that idea of being in love with uh, the idea that someone really ex seems to accept and love and admire and and want you. Is it patience or impatience? You know, our parents and their parents and their parents, you know, would save up and save up, you know, pre-credit cards and eventually maybe get that new house or that new car or that new stove or that new thing. And then, you know, it got easier for us because the world got easier. It really did. I mean, Christ, yeah. when we had to clear the land and there was no electricity, there was, you know, you were so busy working and surviving. That was everything. But now, you know, everything's kind of easier if your mental health is stable and, and, and you have a job and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not taking for granted that people are, aren't suffering. And then there's this, we expect everything to be easy. So we expect not to have this period of mourning, understanding, awareness, uh, regrowth, the healing, and eventually maybe another great relationship if we work hard at it. We want it tomorrow. That one ended Thursday. I need to get laid next Sunday. And, and I need to have a dinner partner. Like there's, there's a thing about patience that I think a lot of us are lacking, you know, present company included. <laughs> I, I don't think it's gotten easier. I, I disagree. I think it's gotten a lot harder. There's way too much pressure and demand for how we're supposed to be in society now. This unattainable way of living. I mean, I'm lucky enough now to, to be self-employed and be an entrepreneur, so I'm my own boss. But most workplaces, they, they don't care about your mental health. They care about production and productivity. And capitalism is just really running rampant. <laughs> um, well, certainly in the corporate world, that's, that's a big thing because bottom line is the bottom line. But there's a lot of family business and mom and pop shops, as it were, that do treat their people well. When I say easy, though, you know, back in the day when most of your day was about survival, oh, yeah. um, there wasn't as much focus on me and my relationship, was there? No, we weren't talking about compatibility. We weren't talking about sitting down and talking about feelings. And life wasn't complex back then. And, and now we have so much information being thrown at us left, right, and center about, oh, did you know that this is not healthy when you do this and when you do that? Nope, that's wrong too. Oh, you thought you were in a good relationship? No, actually, it's very bad for you, this relationship you're in. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's too much. <laughs> Which is ironic because it's what you and I both do now yeah. know, with, with this podcast and with your teachings. <laughs> but 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 we can, we I think we can um, focus and boil it down to the awareness in yourself. If you wake up in the morning feeling anxious in a relationship, or if you go to bed at night feeling the same way, you know, the gut thing, the intuition, if it doesn't feel right, maybe it's not. How important is that? How important is being in touch with your gut? It's absolutely everything, tuning in to yourself and giving yourself what you need and trusting, trust, trusting yourself versus living in fear, anxiety. That's the disconnection. When you've lost that trust in yourself, now you're going to be more susceptible to what other people want to tell you who you are and what you need to be doing or should 
be doing or should be feeling. And I love the expression that, uh, I forget who said it originally, but I always loved it. Uh, youth is wasted on the young because we gather these, you know, eventually we gather these you know, tools and this wisdom and this understanding and this experience. And then, then we're suddenly 60 and like, Hey, I've sort of figured a lot of it out. All those mistakes I made in my twenties, thirties, forties, I'm kind of like, I got it going on now. And then of course you're like, but I'm not as healthy. I'm not as good looking. You know, we all go through this this thing. The vanity kicks in and you're like, I wish I'd had this stuff when I was a young strapping lad. And, <laughs> and, and you know, but I fucked everything up for so long. But, you know, eventually you, you, you do better because you know better. Just going back to this topic of the best way to get over someone, you know, or get over anything is acceptance. Because life is always, always going to throw you shit piles. And it, and it just comes down to your attitude. You got to reach some acceptance and be like, okay, this happened. That's okay. I mean, what do I expect here? Things to last forever? That, that's cool. But is that attainable? And if I deny myself that truth, then I'm going to stay stuck in the shit pile forever, thinking that all of a sudden some something great's going to well, sometimes great things do grow out of shit piles. I mean, you know? <laughs> Mushrooms. <laughs> Accepting what happened and being able to move on from it rather than wallowing in it and thinking you got to somehow fix it and get it back? Accepting that it's run its course. Accepting that here I am now. One woman comes to mind that I've been working with and has been in a relationship for quite some time with this person and it kind of represents a, a trauma bond and there's so much effort going in and the thought process that she holds if i just give him what he needs and what he wants and i satisfy his needs then he'll satisfy mine denying her own waiting for him to show up one day it's going to happen maybe today's the day maybe if i just be quiet and i don't say anything she had to get to that realization that no, he's never going to show up. I have to accept that this is unrealistic belief that I've been carrying around. And it has to take that like light bulb moment, that realization to be like, oh crap. Okay. I've been fooling myself. It's time to move on. And that's really hard. It's really hard to accept that. It's like, it's like you're expecting magic from the universe. You're expecting because you do A, they will do something great in return. What would, what would possess us to think that that's how it works? Because do unto others is you would have them do unto you. It doesn't account for how they will do back. And, and what kept her there was, was not wanting to be alone. That 12 months, that four seasons I talked about, to me on the other end of it, when it's over, it seems that that's not a bad amount of time too, when you've been in something really serious and really long term that was really devastating when it ended. A year later, a lot of us are still kind of like just yeah. crawling out of the wreckage at that point. It's not, it's not a three-week thing. No, because we gaslight ourselves. We're like, oh, maybe if I had only done this. You know, oh, if I had done this differently, oh, it would have been, or if I had known that or known this. And then we go into the past and we stay stuck in the past. And that, that's that depressed state. And sometimes we stay really stuck to the point where it's like you're just frozen. 
you know, and you meet some people who've had a really bad breakup. They're really stuck in that past of regret and maybe even some resentment and, and self-doubt, and they just can't pull themselves out of it. That's a big one. You know, now that you've mentioned it, resentment, because here's what happens often. Somehow you reconcile with this person you think you can't live without, and somehow they think enough that way, too, that they're willing to try. And you don't think you're going to carry all this resentment, and you don't think it's going to rise to the surface, but unless you've dealt with it, unless you've accepted what's happened to you by them and them the same, the resentment's going to pop up and it's going to come out in ugly ways. And it's going to be, it's going to be the demise ultimately of the relationship. If you, if you haven't really dealt with it and accepted that things happened and moved on from those things and gotten better at being in a relationship with somebody, resentment's a killer, isn't it? Yeah. Resentment is anger. It is hidden anger. It'll eat you up. It'll manifest itself in your body as some illness. Yeah, that's what Laura Desiree talked about, you know, uh, in the first episode, that your body will react to, you know, emotions unexpressed, resentments unexpressed, anger bottled up. It has to, it has to go somewhere, doesn't it? It either comes out in yelling and screaming or it comes out in, in sickness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about emotions as energy in motion. It has to move. It has to flow somewhere. And sometimes you have to physically, um, somatically get it out of your body. Talking about it is one thing. Sometimes talking about it just feeds it (laughs) because you're not talking about it how it needs to be talked about. And so that's why some people will go and hit the gym or, you know, go for a run or just dance it out or jam it out, whatever it needs to do, like that therapy to release those stuck emotions that are building and building and building. And while you got that shit stuck in you, there's no room for the love, for the joy, for the happiness to come in. There's no room because you got all the other junk that's just laying there, dormant, stuck and Yeah, there's really only so much room, not only in a day, but in a mind and in a heart, if you're stuck with a lot of negativity, to to have room left to be positive and to get into something. One of the things that I've talked about here is that um, fall in love with your ears, fall in love by listening to the person. You mentioned earlier, we talked about how, do I really like this person? (laughs) How can you find that out? Okay, let's, 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 some givens. The assumptions are I'm attracted to them physically. The assumptions are we are pretty good uh, at making love. The the assumptions are we don't have massive addiction problems and we aren't we aren't bonding over that. Do we like you know when someone's speaking at a table and you're at a dinner party and sometimes you see the couples where one of the two people in the couple is talking and either the spouse has got a shitty face on like he's tired of her stories or she's tired of his stories or there can be this sort of, you know, admiration. And it's scary to me how many people stay together for so long. And when they listen to each other, they don't actually like what the other person is saying. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge thing to me to admire and respect 
I mean, you can't all the time agree and love everything your partner says, but more often than not, I think that's got to be the case. You can't be building resentment because you don't even like their thoughts, their opinions, and the way they speak. Oh, and, and you know, oh, it it's so multi-layered, I think. I want equal admiration. When I see you, do you just light up the room? Are you my favorite person? Or, or recognizing, oh, I've got this resentment. Why is that? And maybe why that is, is because I have unrealistic expectations for who I want you to be. Maybe this whole time, I've been waiting for you to change into something that you're never going to change into. And now here I am, disappointed in you for not showing up as how I wanted you to be. Showing up how I imagined you could show up. <laughs> how come you're not doing it? Oh, that was my imagination. Stupid. Me. Yeah, stupid you. Um, and well, that goes back to the settling. Sometimes we decide that, yes, this is what I want. Yes, this is good. Yes, this, this, this is the person I want to be with, live with, have a child with friend of mine last night, we were going to have a jam and, and I was like trying to expand the jam. So we had three or four guys playing guitars and, you know, it was fun. Um, and I said, Hey, come, we need a bass player. And he's like, you know what? I really want to, we have to do it soon, but I just want to stay home with my doll and have a couple of drinks. And they've been married 15 years. He calls it, you know, old 50s style doll. And I loved it because two kids, a lot of years together, a lot of changes, a lot of challenges. There's been health issues. And still he has this admiration that he'd rather be at home with her and have a couple of drinks and reconnect. And that's beautiful. It does happen. Yes. Oh, it absolutely does. And, and we need to hear more about that. Right? Because those people aren't talking so much because, well, there's no problem. What do we got to talk about? We hear people's relationship woes way more than we hear about their wins. And, and maybe if, if we infiltrated the, the sound system with, with more of these relationship wins, you know, that, that's, that's going to be way more powerful and inspiring than talking about what's not working. Let's look up, talk about what is working instead. And let's get more of that. <laughs> I like that. It's a great idea. Well, you know, there's the Blue Hotel hotline that anybody that wants to go to bluehotelpodcast.com and uh, and click on the microphone and tell us a win. Tell us a good story. Tell us a challenge. Tell us whatever you want to tell us about your thing. It can be uh, done anonymously or you can say, hey, it's Jim. And, and here's what I love about my wife or whatever. So give us, give us your stuff and we'll play them back soon. Everyone's been a little bit, I have to admit, and I didn't want to push it too hard, but everybody's been a little bit apprehensive to share. But you can re-record it as many times as you like, and we're very um, kind. We're never going to laugh or, or, or play a message that you didn't want aired. We're just, we're just here to try to help you navigate your life a bit better and have more enjoyment and less stress because we need more fun. <laughs> we need more harmony, don't we? Let's talk about boundaries. Let's talk about two or three key boundaries in all of this getting to know someone that, that you think would be great takeaways today for anyone listening. First is the time boundary. So when you first meet someone, you don't want to give up the time that you have for yourself, for your hobbies, for your friends, for your family, as much 
as you're soaking up this new person and you want to spend so much time with them. Hold yourself back. How's that slowing it down? It's okay. If, if they want to be with you, they'll, they'll be with you. You don't need to be so anxious that if you don't spend time with them or you don't say yes to this weekend, that they're going to dump you. And if they do, well, good for them. Wasn't meant to be anyway. So it's that time and them respecting your time. The other boundary is of that physical boundary and testing the waters of what is important for you that you need physically in your relationship. Do you want to hold hands, but they don't, and they won't come around to that? Do you love public displays of affection, but they don't, and they won't come around to that, and they told you that's not going to happen? And that's okay. We all have our preferences, and some of us will will bend and and, and adopt a new, you know, um, preference for a partner that we want to do that for. But that's really important in the beginning. Don't uh, sacrifice what your needs are physically, sexually, for someone else's. It, it, it's an indication of incompatibility in that area. And the other one is an emotional boundary. Making sure that you are not taking on their problems. Because you might meet someone at a certain time in their life when they're going through a lot of turmoil or stress. Maybe they've just gotten divorced. Like, you need to recognize that this person needs some emotional healing before they're going to be ready to enter a relationship. And so you have to make sure that you're not taking on their problems as your own and that they are not someone who takes on your problems as their own. And they always want to fix you. And they always want to problem solve and jump in and oh, all of that. No, there needs to be a boundary there because that allows us for interdependence versus something called codependency that we want to make sure this is not happening. So there's my, my top three. I love that. Thank you. Now let's talk about energy. You've talked extensively and know a lot about this and I know very little about it. Feminine versus masculine energy. There's the natural state of these things and there's what I understand to be the wounded state of each of these things. Tell, tell us more. Oh, yes. Imagine the yin and the yang. These, these two pieces that need to exist together in a balanced way. And I mean, for men, well, I'm masculine. I'm a man. This is me. Look at me. I'm very masculine. Do I cry? No, I don't cry. Do I show my emotions? No, I don't show my emotions. There can be some men who, who do not allow themselves to experience the feminine energy of things like just being sensitive and emotional and kind in that way. But isn't this a really traditional way of looking at it? Because we can all identify partners and friends that the guy's the more sensitive one, it seems, or, or the rules are reversed. Tell us more. Yeah. And, and, and that's the case, right? So there can also be some men who are not so much in their masculine. They're not very, um, you know, direction oriented. They're, they don't have that outer confidence. Um, and instead they're operating maybe from some power and control instead to cover that up, which is a wounded masculine state. Um, and same thing for women. Sometimes women are 
you know, and through this whole women's liberation, we've really struggled to understand where our energy needs to, to, to be flowing. And for women, we, we might be in, in a, you know, a critical of ourselves. We may be confrontational. We may feel like we have to be very dominant and missing that, that balance from that inner radiance and flow and being creative and our intuition. So at the end of the day, when we're overly in one energy, we're going to suffer on the other side and we're going to feel very unbalanced. And how this plays a role in relationships. For instance, I'll give a personal example here. When I worked as a probation officer for 20 years, I was in, you know, a very authoritative role. You know, I'm issuing warrants for people's arrest. I'm monitoring court orders. Uh, it's a very powerful role to be in all day. And if I came home to my partner in that masculine way, what do you think is going to happen? He's going to feel, well, this is a clash. This is where we have this clash of, of energies now. I can't be coming to you as a, as a, in your masculine energy with this masculine energy. I needed to learn to come home, let that go, and be in that feminine, kind, tender, nurturing, understanding, really receptive, so that the energies can balance. And if you don't do that... This is where we have these these inner struggles, this this conflict within relationships, that that resentment, that contempt, and and men need to be needed in a certain way. That masculine energy needs to be there, and women need to be needed too. We can't be all in our masculine energy as women, and men can't be all in their feminine energy as men. You know, if men are thinking, oh, well, I'll just like really just lighten up and be although this sensitive guy. No, we still need you to have some masculine energy too. Right? <laughs> and, and for women, we need to balance them. Because as a woman, I don't want to just be all in my feminine energy. I also want to bring some, some power. When you bring in the, um, the many layers that occupy LGBTQ and, um, and, and the conversations around gender, that makes all of this a whole lot more layered, in-depth, complicated, complex. Yeah. That would be a two-hour discussion to, uh, to see how things have changed in terms of balance of feminine versus masculine. There's a lot of gray areas. It's not, so, it's not so black and white. And this is what I mean, is I think that with the emergence and acceptance of you know, bisexuality, and, and transgender and that the whole LGBTQ is allowing and honoring and accepting that we are both. We are both this masculine and feminine energy and we don't need to define by one. And by accepting that we are both, then it opens us up to, to being more receptive of same-sex partnerships, for example. But you see that even in same-sex partnerships, that one needs to be, you know, who's the bottom and who's the top? This needs to be defined. You know, it's nice when people say they're versatile because they're open to 
whatever works best in the relationship, not only to do with sex, but to do with how we're going to get along and, mm-hmm. and, and avoid power struggles that are debilitating. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, it's all very interesting. Yeah. And especially with the feminine energy, right? Like sometimes maybe, maybe the feminine wants to come with, with a little bit more dominance and, and maybe they, they shut that part down with themselves. Maybe they don't feel like they're allowed to. No, that's not part of my identity, but it's about really discovering yourself. And I think the older we get, the more we discover how these two energies play a role in our life and where we've been depriving ourselves of certain energies because of what society tells us we can't be because it relates to your gender means this energy is you. It, it allows you to become more um, just non-conventional, more open, open to everything. Don't define me by, by my gender. Don't define me by my sexuality. I am everything that I want to be. And that's hopefully going to be like a new... You know, I would love for that to just be a new kind of some sort of, I don't know, let, let's see where all of this, our, our sexual energies kind of kind of bring us. As you say those things, define me by the way I treat others and treat myself. Do I respect myself? Do I respect the people that I come into contact with? Certainly important with children and family and friends and lovers. Do I operate from a, a place of kindness or do I operate from a place of anxiety and fear and resentment? And, and you know fairly quickly, maybe not 12 months, but not, maybe not two weeks, <laughs> somewhere in between how people operate. If you spend enough time and you listen, not only to them, but to the way you feel and the way your body either rejects the way they are or feels at peace with the way they are. That's kind of the, that's kind of back to the how do you feel at, at bedtime when you're in a partnership? How do you feel in the morning when you wake up? Do you feel peace? Are you already excited about seeing them at the end of the day? Or are you dreading it? Yeah. Because what am I repressing in myself? You know, a partner is going to allow you to explore all of this energy. You're going to get to try it all on. You're going to get to see how it fits and how it feels. And the other partner is going to feel that freedom to do the same thing, to explore all of these different energies, how it fits and how it feels. And that's what brings you together. Or it doesn't. There's, there's, there's one more thing. It's important, I think, to define success. So you're getting into a project or you're a business or you're getting into a relationship. I think it's important to define what success is what it looks like, and how we measure it. Now, it sounds a little egghead-ish, perhaps. However, if you don't sort of have a view of what is success, how are you going to know when it arrives? It can't just be, oh, I feel good every day. I feel good. What does it look like, and, and how are we going to define it, and how are we going to define the way we operate together? Are we monogamous? Um, what does flirting look like? Is it acceptable? I think a lot of people take these leaps of faith in relationships, and then when it doesn't go as, back to idealization, when it doesn't go as well as you'd imagined, who do you have to blame if you didn't really talk about, negotiate, and revisit the way you're operating together? You know, shared values, shared goals, shared vision of the future. At the same time, how are we going to do it to 
get to that place. It's a lot really, isn't it? But I think you have to be, it's, it's not like a, a business meeting where you're not strategizing as such like you are around a board table. However, you kind of are. Yeah. And, and you have to know that they're not yours. They don't belong to you. They're their own person, their own entity. And the moment that you attach some level of ownership to them, you've gotten yourself into a dangerous place because there needs to be a conversation every once in a while. And maybe I heard this from one of your last guests that really stood out, which is, are, are we still doing this? Do we, do we want to still carry on with this? Because it's cool if you don't, like, just let me know, okay? Because if you don't let me know that, listen, then that's just lose-lose, okay? Like, no one's winning here by, by lying about it, by just pretending, well, it's okay, you know, I think I still like you, but I've been thinking <laughs> that I don't for a really long time, but I'm just not going to let you know how I really feel. And that's not success, so success is when you're able to have those hard conversations and be like, you know what? I'm not happy in this relationship right now. And this is what it's going to take for me um, for things to get a little bit better. And what do you think about that? And how do you feel about it? And is this something that you're even capable of doing? And is this something that you even want to do? And then I need to go return to myself and ask myself, is that really, really is like just an introspection. And I don't think a lot of people are capable of that. And if they are capable of that, because um, of course we are. Are they even willing to do that? Because that's a lot of energy. Relationships are a lot of work. You know, like if you think that relationships are just supposed to be easygoing, we never argue. Oh, look at we have a great relationship because we never argue and it's so easy and, and we always <laughs> get along. No, bullshit on that. Okay. Relationships are hard work. Let's face it. If you're not arguing, that means you're not having communication. Okay, there's such thing as healthy conflict. For sure. And the whole, there's wisdom to agreeing to disagree. Listen, we're never going to see eye to eye on this, but we don't need to. It's not important that we see things exactly the same way. Success is, is really like, hey, feeling good. I know that it's never perfect, but I'm feeling good. I'm content. And, and you are too. Cool. We're continually making sure we're on the same page together. And I want to take your clothes off and fuck you here in the kitchen uh, fairly frequently. In fact, let's go to the laundry room just because it's a different room. And then let's go to the basement and let's go to the spare room because we haven't used that bed in a while. And let's go to a hotel and, uh, and make a mess and tear the place apart, you know, figuratively. And, uh, and if you're not doing that, you know, if you're a yeah. sexual person and yet you're not being sexual with your partner, yeah. that's always a pretty good indication that things aren't great. Withholding affection. You know what? We're not in a good place right now in our relationship. So I don't feel comfortable having sex with you right now. That is so unhealthy. No, let's, let's have sex to work on this. <laughs> let's see. Or, or, or the intimacy doesn't have to be what it used to be. Let's redefine what intimacy is while we're working on this part of our relationship. You know, like you can't close doors in these departments. They all have to stay open and they might look different when you go in there for the meantime, but you can't close them because that's, that's when you breed contempt in, in the relationship. 
It's not going to, it's not going to go well. I'm so glad you said that because that's so common. When things are better, when you're treating me better, well, unless, in, let's, let's face it though, if something's physically abusive or highly verbally mm. abusive, you can see yeah. why there's a barrier and a wall and doors are shut. But yeah. failing that, if it's just like, we're not getting along, I don't want to fuck you. Um, <laughs> it me off today, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes relieving that pressure, maybe you do need to get, the, the pair of you, maybe you do need to get fucked. Maybe you'll laugh when you done and go, why were we fighting? That was really stupid. Maybe you'll see things a little more clearly. Well, or maybe it's just, let's just lay in bed and gaze in each other's eyes for a little while. Right. And just lay in some silence, holding, our, holding hands. Reconnect. We obviously re- need to reconnect. I've talked about that in a previous episode, how, or maybe it was a conversation I had with a <laughs> friend the other night, the idea that, there are some couples who never are intimate. Um, and when I say intimate, I'm, I'm, I'm defining that this time as sex, which is a type of intimacy as we know, but they aren't able to do it unless they're drinking, unless they're intoxicated or stoned or both. Yeah. And to me, I, I really think maybe from experience and from uh, anecdotal information from friends, there's nothing more, there's nothing closer between two people than the ability to look into someone's eyes, make love to them, without any substances, without any, um, just being kind of completely naked mentally and physically Mm. and being together. Because if you get into the habit of always, you know, making love at the end of the day after you've had a few drinks, Mm. are you really connecting or are you connecting in a different plane that's not really you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all good. If you don't do that with your partner, have that unadulterated, Mm -hmm. full-on, natural high fucking you don't really know each other no yeah it's a huge part of of having a healthy relationship having that healthy level of of intimacy and you can't always gauge oh well we have great sex okay well that might be all it is and sometimes people are just staying in the relationship for the great sex have you done that where you're like you know this is this is really good sex i'm gonna stay longer (laughs) but there's a shelf life isn't there yeah, it's just ripping out your soul by doing that because you're compromising yourself, you know? Well, whatever, teach their own. But then, like, the lack of sex is also not an indication that it's a bad relationship. Every other department going well, but then the sex sucks. Okay. And, mm. and, and different ages and different phases of our life, things take on greater importance or lesser importance, depending uh, and, and on your health and mentally and physically, but certainly age. Although, you know, people are surprised when they hear about um, seniors, people in their, you know, 65 plus, 75, 85, still having great uh, moments of intimacy and and sexual satisfaction together. It's not uncommon, is it? No, and like just redefine what that is, right? Because I think you have a certain image of what good sex is supposed to be. And if you're not getting that, then, you know, oh, I didn't orgasm, so it wasn't a good, good sex. Um, or he didn't come. So I guess it wasn't good sex. Um, but it doesn't have to be that, like just remove the word sex and just replace it with intimacy. And that's what we're really after. That's when you're defining success in a relationship. There's a lot of these categories that we have to go in and redefine. Cause I think sometimes we're holding people to standards that are unattainable, unrealistic. Oh, you know, you're the perfect person to ask. I think, um, a friend of mine worked in, in the criminal system. Um, and you being a probation officer and you dealing with people with addictions and you helping to transform lives out of that world into something more healthy. He said, you know, addiction is really just mm. 
the opposite of connection. You're disconnected. Tell me about that. your understanding of that. Yeah, that's huge. I've, I've talked about that a bunch. And I think that's from Dr. Gabor Mate. I think he was the one who, who talks and coined that the addiction is the opposite of connection. And it's disconnecting from yourself. So there's all these things that you do to disconnect from yourself. Because to really face yourself is overwhelming, is, is unbearable. I can't. And, and those two biggest ones that go together, you know, getting drunk and having sex, materialism, overspending, um, showering people with, with gifts is really holding back from true connection. And so a lot of people form relationships within those disconnected behaviors. And then they wonder why they're not doing so well afterwards. And we're not demonizing any of the things in and of themselves, like having a couple of drinks, uh, smoking no. dope, or having sex, or doing this, or doing that. It's when there's um, heavy reliance on these things is the only way we're mm-hmm. doing them. Yes. You know? I, and it goes back to something you always talk about um, when I when I tune into you on social media. Balance. Balance is so important at, at, every, at every level, isn't it? Balance, just being in alignment with yourself, being in, in a, a conscious state of awareness. You know, am I disconnecting? And sometimes we do, and sometimes we need to disconnect. And that's okay. But am I also equally connecting with myself and tuning in and validating my emotions and my feelings and my spending time with people who also do that for me? Because let's face it, it's nice to have people validate you. And work-life balance and just balance within your own thoughts. Am I always just thinking about the what-ifs instead of the why-nots? Balance is key and it's, it's super hard to maintain. But I always say to my clients, listen, if you're experiencing anxiety and if you're someone who's highly anxious, it's a sign that you've gone out of alignment with yourself. You've gone out of balance. It's your body's way and your mental way of letting you know hey, you need to get some boundaries in place for how you choose to talk to yourself, who you choose to spend time with, how you're spending your time, and where you're spending your time. You speak to a lot of people about uh, the challenges they have and you help them with them. What's the easiest, best, greatest way to get in touch with you and find out more about what you do offer? Yeah, you can go to freyamortensen.com and on social media, I'm Empathic Coach on Instagram and TikTok. Are you on TikTok yet, Jeff? I, I did start up an account and they're always bothering me to use it. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a Twitter, uh, Facebook. I have uh, three Instagram accounts. You know, Blue Hotel Podcast takes a lot of time. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and Wildwood's Blue Studio and Jeff Woods Radio. I'm kind of, TikTok's the place to be. Is that it? I love it. Uh, Sabrina B, who was on episode two, who is after sex ed on Instagram. Yeah, she's got a, she's like you, she hundreds of thousands of TikTok followers and she's pretty prolific at it as you are. I don't know, what is there a downside? To? To it? To TikTok? TikTok? Yeah. Not that I know of. Well, maybe just um, wasting your time <laughs> getting sucked into the, the TikTok um, abyss and you're is like, it more entertainment than 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 anything or what what what's the, what's what do you get from it it's realness over there there's yeah. real people real talk their algorithm is unbeatable you oh. know it, it's like people are spying on you the stuff that you're gonna hear about on there 
I'm gonna need a, a tutorial. It's it's easier when someone shows you. If someone's really good at it, they spend 20 minutes with you, and you're like, I know how to do this now. But if you muddle around and you know, without any kind of guidance, oh, you'd it kill be, it over it there. Be, yeah. Oh yeah. All right. If you're ever up in the Blue Mountain area, please come by and give me a tutorial. I will. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll make your lunch. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it was a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, I wanted to mention there was a funny relating to um, how do I get over someone? Uh, Karen Zeifman, who was on a past episode of the Blue Hotel podcast, wrote a book called Let's Talk About X, Baby. And there's one chapter that is called Crying on a First Date. So she's, she's on a date and they're having uh, dinner and he's asking, you know, they get to know dinner. They're all get to know dinners, but especially that first one get to know if I want to have a second date. And he asks her questions that cause her to cry because now she's really thinking about the things she suppressed. And I said, how did he deal with it? Because a lot of guys would be, you know, mortified. And she said he was actually really kind and, and, and generous and said, no, I understand. You know, stuff's coming up that you didn't realize was going to come up. <laughs> First date? <laughs> It was the first date. Well, tears. I don't know that she was sobbing hysterically, but she certainly, <laughs> tears did come. They dated for another week or two, and then that was the end of that. How was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't like being interrogated on a first date. Okay. Speaking of going on dates and how much you reveal, how quickly, again, balance. Let's say you're a woman or a man that's bi, but you're not having sex on the first date necessarily. So let's say you're not or the second, or even the third. Let's say you're going to wait till the fourth. When does that conversation need to happen? How much do you reveal and when? I don't think it's relevant. If I'm going to have sex with you, I'm going to have sex with you. Do I have to tell you that I also like to have sex with women too? Oh, oh, you don't like that I like to have sex with women. Oh, okay. You only like to have sex with women who have sex with men, not with women. I guess... That is um, a good values, sort of beliefs, judgments, uh, territory that would be revealed. That's where it brings it to for me. Otherwise, I don't think that it's something that I would be like, oh, by the way, you know, I also like to, to sleep with women too. Are you okay with that? When do I reveal all of myself to the person that I want to get closer to? Third person language, like, you know, if, if you dated someone and they were bi what would you think have you ever had that experience have you ever dated someone who was bi and you just say it like in a way that's like curious like oh and then you get the response from them oh why are, are you like well i was just asking you know <laughs> that's that's it that's the workaround just get in the feel get in the feel <laughs> <laughs> thank you okay some real world advice from Freya Mortensen. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm so glad you came on here. Are you going to dance this weekend? Oh, you never know. I was dancing earlier today. And you were a cheerleader. What team? The Ticats? That's right. The Ticats. Oski Wee Wee. Oski Wawa. Oh, dear. I don't know what that means. Oh, it's it's the Tire Cat Cheer. Oski Wee Wee. Oski Wawa. Holy Mackinac. Tigers. Eat them raw. <laughs> Oh, wow. Do they still do that? Yeah, man. Oh, it's huge. Really? You haven't been to a Ticat game, I guess, ever. Uh, <laughs> no. Football. Fun, fun times, though. I bet. Yeah. Well. You know?
go up there in the in the box and watch it on the screen and have some drinks and chat with a lot of people. That's the best cool. part about going to games, talking to the people. Did you ever date someone uh, in the oh, in the organization? Oh, come on, come on, seriously, I don't, I don't You're exposing know. me now. <laughs> There's <laughs> a no guess. fraternizing rule. Okay, there was a oh. very strict no fraternizing rule. You know what they say so, about rules. Yeah. Did we follow them? Mm. <laughs> no. To Come be on. continued. Yeah, I lots, lots of stories there. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother what show this, right there. So a whole new podcast. Oh, Freya Mortensen, everyone. I did a ride at the Blue Hotel. We did a ride at the Blue Hotel. Shall we climax episode six with the new erotic narration called Summer of Love? I don't know about you, but it seems people are saying you do you a lot lately. How many among us get to the essence of their true spirit and soul and put themselves out into the world bare of the masks they may have created in the name of conformity? Not conforming takes courage. I've said it before, and it bears repeating, there's value in getting back to the innocence and the openness of that kid you may have long ago left behind. A chance to try things you want to try, open up to the possibilities not bound by expectation, and revel in the expression of what makes you burn. Sometimes it's a matter of realignment, getting to the essence of who you are. And sometimes it's in the stillness of remembering what you had and what you lost. The act of getting back to you, doing you. And it comes with questions. What do you desire? In career, in relationships, in intimacy, in sex. Sometimes when things get too familiar, they become devoid of the erotic. A dulling of the senses. One thing's for sure, people need to give partners time to miss them. Distance breeds desire. Nights apart. Date nights. Role playing. There's lots of ways to keep the fires burning. But sometimes in life it can get completely away from you to the point that it's not coming back. And the answer dwells outside of the lines, in the shadows, where nothing's known and everything's new. All you have is a blank canvas and your instincts. And passion and desire can only be realized within the intrigue of the completely unfamiliar. Of course, there's danger in that, and discomfort, and growth, and fire. Danny had given up many of her freedoms for conformity and for family, and for a partner who was everything until he wasn't. They'd had a good run, as they say. Over time, though, he'd become a much better golfer than a lover. She didn't lay all the blame with him. Of course, it takes two. And what had happened was less important than what would happen once Danny traded in all that was known for a realm where nothing was. And if the book of life is ultimately built upon adventures and experiences... She was most interested and excited for the chapters that had only been imagined. And when she did imagine, it was just glimpses at first. A toe in the water, until eventually she pulled back the curtain and revealed to herself, herself, it was time for Danny to fill her own tank. And when she allowed herself the freedom to do so, her mouth could almost taste it, and the space between her legs feel it. 
it was time for Danny to bloom again, to welcome what her dreams had been manifesting. So much so, she started coming in her sleep. It was one day in the early part of last summer she went to pick up her son from sailing school. His class had gone a bit late, which was fine with her. A chance to enjoy the breeze coming off the bay and read a bit of her book on the bench by the boardwalk that met the pebbled beach that was drenched by the freshwater waves. When the wind picked up, the young sailors' skills were tested and tried. Their teachers were experienced and adept as they'd been students themselves, and now, college age, they'd come home to summer by the bay and pass on their experience while making a little money. Danielle had watched them grow, getting to know some quite well, others less so. On this day, as she sat, legs crossed, turning pages in a novel telling tales of European travels, the story was interrupted by a voice above and behind. You want me to bring you down something cold to drink? Twisting herself around and squinting to see, his body was half out the open second-story window. And she called back, Hi, David. Really, you'd do that for me? David said, Of course. Fizzy water with lime okay? She laughed and said, Perfect, please, yes. David was one of her favorites. He'd been teaching at the sailing school for five summers, and with two years of college behind him, the changes she'd seen in him were immense, and how thoughtful he was to bring her something icy to drink. Not two minutes had passed, and there was his voice again, just steps behind her now. I've been thinking, and if you don't mind, I always think of you as Danny. Danielle felt her face flush a bit and said, That's fine, you can call me that, David. He reached out and handed her the tall glass, and she thanked him and put it to her lips and tasted the fizzy lime taste before saying, Now look at you. He laughed a bit. Yeah, it's me, all right. It's been nine months since I saw you, and you look great. How have you been? Danny responded, I feel great, too. Thank you. I feel better than I've felt in forever. It doesn't hurt the sun's shining and this breeze for our sailors and this book and a cold drink now and... Your compliments to boot, she said. And the shyness Danny remembered David having was completely gone. He asked her, and what do you attribute the feel-good feeling? Danny said, let's just say I'm opening back up to what life has to offer. And then she directed it back to him with, what about your year away and being back here? How does that feel? David replied, actually, it feels like it's just what the doctor ordered. Being on the water for the summer puts me in my happy place. And we finally got funding, a few months late, but better late than never, to renovate the staff suites upstairs. And they're letting me supervise the project and take some shifts instructing, too, so the best of both worlds. David continued, I'm just about to go back up and review the plans. It's been such a pleasure seeing you again, Danny. Just leave the glass on the step when you're done, if you would. She said the pleasure was mine, David, thank you. And said, I can see the boats now. It won't be long before they're back, and I'll hope to see you again this week. And with that, off he went, and soon she'd collect her son and make her way home. It was there that evening Danny felt a bit silly, but didn't care that she was thinking the things she was thinking about David. He wasn't young enough to be her son, but still. But he'd grown up so much even since last summer. His voice was that of a man now. His shoulders had gotten so broad. He hadn't lost a bit of his sincere charm and sweetness, but he'd found a confidence she'd not known on him, asking to call her Danny. It was only last year it had changed from Mrs. Masters to Danielle at her insistence. 
She'd wanted to ask him about the college girls, but decided it was too much, so soon, held back. Still, she couldn't resist imagining him in his college residence and how he might have been with a woman, or perhaps women. She couldn't help but think he was as lucky as he wanted to be with girls. Then as she got ready for bed, she thought some more about it and found herself getting lost in visions of him taking charge with someone who looked a bit like her. Danny took good care of her yoga body. Well hydrated, no booze, clean food, an hour weekdays at sunrise, stretching her neck and spine and finding balance between her hips, extending her hamstrings and calves in the arches of her feet. Yoga had also helped relieve back pain, left over from her ski racing days. She'd focus on distributing her weight evenly through her palms and lifted her hips up and back away from her shoulders. Downward dog, upward facing dog, plank pose, triangle and warrior and dancer and goddess and all of the poses that made her feel alive and ready to take on a day. But in this moment, there were other positions Danny imagined and she pictured David there with her, like the wide squat over top his body. She'd never thought of him this way before. Now it's all she could think of. That evening, she worked herself into a frenzy her vibrating dildo upon her clit. She had to push it up inside all the way and imagine him penetrating her deeply while she showed him poses the college girls may or may not have. Eyes burning with the need for sleep, Danny dozed off, and before she knew it, she was back on her yoga mat, stretching and sweating and lost in more thoughts. She headed to the sailing school much earlier that afternoon, taking her book and parking herself upon the bench by the blue water, with plenty of time to relax before the boats were to be back. Danny wasn't the only one thinking about tomorrow last night. David had also been swimming in his thoughts about her as he lay in bed with his own book and a view to the bay and the sunset and a vision of her strong back, the straps of her black bathing suit crisscrossing upon her toned shoulders. He found Danny to be a rare combination of highly fit and incredibly feminine. Fragile she was not, her shoulders were broader than most women, and from the second-story window, the sight of her had made him stiff. He had actually worried that his cock wouldn't subside enough to not be completely obvious how she affected him. He loved that when he approached her from the front, all of her femininity burst forth in her face, and he was captivated by her slender fingers as she reached out to receive the cold drink he'd brought her. And more than anything, admittedly, it was a three-way tie for his attention between her back that gave way to a bubble butt and her smile and her full breasts. They were real and they were really nice. And laying on his bed, his shoulders against the pillows, propped against the headboard, he imagined her in the same position, naked, and how her breasts might look, how wide the colored part around her nipples might be, how she might like them stimulated, if she might like his mouth upon them, and how they might sway when her body was being pushed by his and what the hair above her pussy looked like. Was it waxed away and completely smooth, or was it a pretty tuft, landing strip style? Or a classic triangle, maybe? And were the lips subtle or protruding, and was her clit pronounced, and how would she most want to take him? In one of her yoga poses, or maybe she'd straddle him on a firm kitchen chair and drop down on his cock that way. All of David's thoughts led to all of the commonest balls shooting so hard it landed all the way up his neck as he muttered the name Danny as he came. Sleep came fast after that. 
Now it was the new day, and Danny was on the bench reading, semi-focused, and David popping in and out of her thoughts. He was upstairs, semi-focused on the planning of the reno of the staff suites at the sailing school, and semi-erect with thoughts of Danny. And as working isn't always about burying your head in emails and paperwork, he was immersed in his thinking time as he wandered over to the window, overlooking the bay, surprised to see Danny by the water so early this day. Instead of yelling down to her this time, he threw on his swimsuit, grabbed the towel, and headed down to say hello. About 15 feet from the bench, the breeze of the bay brought straight to David the smell of Danny's perfume. It smelled like he wasn't quite sure what, but he liked it. Hi, Danny, he said as he came up from behind. David, I might have just been thinking about you. He replied, I was definitely thinking about you. Now I have to ask your perfume. It's nice. Tell me. Danny said, oh, you'll love this. Let me look up the description I found after I discovered it and bought it last month. She searched it up and started reading to him. Gypsy water is for those who prefer to wear their boyfriend's jeans, t-shirts, and sweaters. And are always nursing the desire for a tiny, delicate tattoo somewhere. They laughed together at that, and she continued. The scent is woody and musky with smoky flower petals. And if that's not enough, it's also, quote, like a vintage leather jacket that goes with everything and molds to your body. Super elegant, but not uptight. They laughed some more, and he said... Now I really like it. It kind of describes you. Danny said, you think? David replied, super elegant, but not uptight. That's exactly you. But the smoky flower petals bit? Now that's hot. She was about to say, come sit, but he beat her to it, and they were now side by side. You can come in now if you like for a proper sniff, she said to him. So he did and said, whoa, smoky petals. She pressed, how about woody and musky? David said Woody for sure and grinned as he did. So, David, tell me about the heartbreaking you did all year at college. David smiled and said, Actually, no, a couple of hearts got beating fast. They were both quiet for a moment. It was Danny who broke the silence in sharing how she'd read a piece in The Atlantic about millennials and how things had changed since she was that age, how students fell into three groups, Roughly one-third were the abstainers who opted out of the hookup culture entirely. A little more than a third were the dabblers who hooked up sometimes. Less than a quarter were the enthusiasts who looked forward to hooking up, and the remainder were in long-term relationships. She said to David, so where do you fall into all this? He said, you can call me an enthusiast. Danny's grin broke into a proper wide smile. He loved her mouth, and he loved what she had on today, too. Black bikini. The material had texture to it and looked a bit wet without being so. Her breasts made him weak. Her bikini bottoms were the likes of which nothing he'd seen before. One string clung to the top of her hips and circled her waist, holding up two black, shiny, wet-looking panels that were narrow, covering a bit of her butt, but barely the kind of bathing suit that would make young boys and old folks gasp. And for David, it made him as hard as he'd been last night imagining her next to him. And now she was. Come for a swim, she said. They headed along the pebbled beach to the bay and walked out together for a while before it was deep enough. And then they went all the way in and up to their necks and both dove under and swam out a bit and it got deeper and they 
tread water a bit before moving closer to shore, to where they could stand. Danny said to David, it is good for me that you're single now. And so am I for the first time in forever. David said, how long was forever? Danny said, well, you know, my son's 13. I was married a year before he arrived, so 14 years since I've been with anybody but my ex, at least physically. But my head was out of that game the last few years, so it feels like even longer. And how did you cope with that, responded David. Danny said, kept busy as one does with career and a kid. You keep your head down with work and yoga and you clean and cook and read and sleep and repeat and suddenly you're 39. David smiled and said, your body's 29, so you're actually barely older than me. Danny said, what's seven years anyway? Then David said what he'd been thinking. I can tell you this, Danny. That bathing suit is ridiculously hot. And the only way it could be hotter is upstairs on my kitchen floor. How things between them had escalated, they both realized. To say that Danny was ready for something new was the understatement of the century. She'd already climbed up and down his body in her mind, felt his chest press against hers and his lips and his tongue, and she'd already yanked on his dark mane of curly hair, pushing his head where she needed it to be, and she'd stroked his cock and sucked on it, too. She'd already been fucked good and hard by David, if only in her thoughts. Now she was realizing not only could she do it for real, she had time. Ninety minutes on the clock before she had to be fully clothed and composed enough to meet her son after his sailing class had finished. Who's upstairs right now, she asked David. David said everyone's out. They didn't even bother to towel off before taking their bodies dripping from the bay up the stairs and into his suite. And David said to Danny, let's go get under some warm water first and... He led her into the bathroom where a rain shower head hung from the ceiling and he turned it on. Then he peeled off her bottoms and she pulled off her top and then pulled down his suit and they were naked and hugging and under falling water and they kissed. And he didn't realize at first but those were tears falling from her eyes too as she let go emotionally in the relief of having something she was not permitted to have for too long. Happy tears with this young man of passion with a beautiful soul and a cock that rose against her stomach. And she was going a bit out of her mind, realizing that they were actually doing this. And he was the hottest thing she'd ever seen. And she could actually have him inside of not only her mind, but wherever he wanted to go now. The hot water had warmed up their bodies. David lathered her back as he pulled her into him and circled the cheeks of her ass with his soapy palms and bent his knees and let his hands run all the way down the backs of her legs and gripped her ankles for a second and ran his hands slowly back up the front of them then over her tummy and onto her breasts lathering some more and circling her nipples then he put his hands lightly around her neck and kissed her forehead and eyebrows and eyes and nose and cheeks and mouth and then he let the water run over, rinsing her breasts before taking each one in his mouth and lightly sucking, and then gripping with mouth and hand for a while. And then their mouths met again, and they found themselves thinking, what's next? David shut the water off and started toweling Danny's body dry, and then his own, 
And then he said, come with me. And he led her to the kitchen. And he pulled a hard chair from the table and positioned it in the middle of the room and sat her in it, naked but warm, smiling. And he walked toward the hall and opened the closet and came back with a black bar about two inches thick, maybe thirty inches wide. It had an eye hook in the middle on the top with a length of chain and two more eye hooks, one on each end, and hanging from each were black leather cuffs. And he took the chain and he reached it above his head and he connected it to the hook that was buried into one of the beams, below which Danny was perched naked on the chair. Her eyes were big now. This was something new. David was full of surprises. Stand up, Danny, he said firmly and took her left hand and raised it above her head and wrapped the leather cuff around her wrist and coaxed the leather strap through the stainless steel buckle and secured it snugly. And he took her right hand and did the same with it. And now she was stretched toward the ceiling. And then he nudged her legs apart and pushed the chair out of the way and he got on his knees and from behind and gently at first took long strokes with his tongue on her pussy lips as she arched a bit and invitingly pushed her ass out and he tongued her some more and more deeply and let his fingers find her hole and it was good and wet. And she kept wiggling and arching and pushing her ass back and she was surprised when he slapped it hard left and right and she said so, David. And he responded, have you not been bad? She replied, My thoughts have been very bad since yesterday when I saw you. Badder than you can imagine. And he slapped it again. And she said, Harder. And he spanked her cheeks harder until they were red and tingling. And Danny said, How lucky are we that we get to do this? The sting of his ass smacks and the tension of her arms outstretched above her head and his tongue upon her cunt had almost made her forget where she was or who she was. And just then David reached up and held her restrained wrists in each of his hands and pushed his chest against her, his cock pushing against her ass. And the warmth of his breath and mouth covered her neck. And then he wrapped his right arm around her right side so that his hand could grip her left breast. And with his left hand, he guided the hardness between his legs up and into her wetness. And the chain swayed with the movement of their arms. She'd never been taken like this, with cuffs and a chain and such passion and intention. And he pumped her, and the pace was slow but even, and she felt strangely as if she was on the verge of coming the whole time, but didn't want to because it felt better to vibrate just below the threshold, to hover as they were on this plateau of ecstasy. Danny had actually almost forgotten how much she loved to fuck. The journey continued with pumping and fingering and his mouth upon her neck, and she turned her head and parted her lips wide, inviting his tongue onto hers, twisting and tasting, and their mouths together were as wet and as wild as his cock felt diving in and out of her. And then he slowed it right down and said, I need you to ride it. And he reached up and adjusted the chain so that the bar hung that much lower. And David pulled the chair over and sat upon it, facing Danny. And he said, spread. And she did, so she was able to straddle him. And the chain was the perfect length now for her to drop her body onto his cock. Her arms fully outstretched again. As they worked together, Danny pulled herself up while David's hands lifted from under her ass. Together they bounced her body up and down good and hard. 
And while she bounced, he devoured her breasts and her whimpers became moans that were escalating in volume. And then he stared her in the eye as he drove her on and off of him. And he held his stare and he resumed kissing her neck and tongued her mouth. And then he wanted her to feel the pressure of release and so gripping her ass cheeks, he ground her pelvis onto his. No longer stroking in and out, but keeping his cock fully inserted and circling and grinding until her neck and chest reddened in color, and the veins at her temples and in her neck swelled, and the grinding and the circling continued until she began to announce the arrival of her orgasm by announcing his name in a scream that you could have heard across the bay. And the only thing louder was the sound that David gave out immediately after as he filled her hole with a load that shot into her like a gun, a love gun. And they held each other close on the chair in the kitchen for a while as his cum ran from inside of her and onto the seat. The summer of love had just begun. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. Take me back to the Blue Hotel. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.